Welcome to episode 74 of the AAEM RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. This episode is a recording of a live webinar that took place on August 24, 2020. In this episode, Lauren Lombarder, AAEM RSA Medical Student Council President, interviews emergency residents about the match and how to impress residents during virtual interviews. Hi everyone and welcome to our panel. Um, tonight we have the first of our series of um, RSA Ask Me Anything with um, three of our current board residents. Um, and we might have a couple more panelists coming in a little bit later. I'm Lauren, I'm the Medical Student Council President with RSA. And um, I would just like everyone on the panel to introduce yourselves and tell us where you are and what program you're at. Hi everyone, my name is Jenny. I am the current vice president of RSA. I am a third year resident, so I'm in my final year at um, Temple where I'm an emergency resident in Philadelphia. Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Descamp. I am one of the board members at large for RSA um, and I help out a lot with our wellness committee. I am a second year resident at a three year program at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. Hey you guys, um, I'm a rising second year resident. I'm in New Orleans at Louisiana State for residency. Um, nice to be here, um, very excited. Awesome, and again, just to reiterate, as you see in the chat, we're gonna be um, asking the panelists just about general questions about the application process. So please send your questions and we'll uh, try to get to them as much as we can. Um, just to get us started, how did you guys uh, each get into emergency medicine? How did you know it was right for you? So I was an EMT during college, so I had an idea that emergency medicine was right for me, but I'm also very detail-oriented, so I kind of was thinking about internal medicine for a little while. Um, ultimately, I realized that the people I enjoyed being around the most were in emergency medicine, and I think so much of your, you spend so much of your time as a physician around these people. Um, I just tend to relate to them more, so I wanted to be in emergency medicine. I also knew that the downsides of emergency medicine weren't a barrier for me. So working nights, working weekends and holidays, some of those things actually kind of excited me to be the doctor on call for that. Um, so the negatives of the field didn't stress me out and the positives outweighed everything. Um, so for me, similar to Jenny, um, but coming in, I uh, had a lot of like volunteer experience um, in college um, as pre-med and um, would frequently volunteer and a lot of that was in the emergency department so that was kind of like my first exposure um, and just kind of realizing like hey I like the pace of this so like what they see um, I like that emergency medicine was very widespread um, I knew that I didn't want to focus on one specific thing so it was important to me to know a little bit about everything and not being a specialist or being a master of one thing was okay for me um, also through med school, I just try to keep my mind open and just realizing that I loved procedures, um, but also realizing that I didn't like to be in the OR. Um, so I knew surgery wasn't for me, um, but specifically emergency medicine. Um, I just felt like out of all specialties, it was the one that um, although you could work, it had the shift work. So it gave you the flexibility in your schedule to do other things that you enjoyed. So whether that be academics or whether that be I don't know, something random, like you want to be a real estate agent, like you're able to do anything and everything um, in emergency medicine. So that also was what drew me to the field um, and just allowed me to do other things outside of medicine as well. So, yeah. 
So similar to Jenny, I was actually an EMT throughout undergrad as well. Um, that gave me my first look into emergency medicine. Um, that pushed me towards emergency medicine for sure. I think what solidified my decision to go into EM was that emergency medicine truly is the closest that you are going to get to society in its most raw form. And you are not only a physician, but you are an advocate for every single one of your patients because so many of our patients that we see in the ER have no one else but us. And the power that comes along with that of being that person um, for those patients in need in that moment and having not only the ability to treat medical problems, but also have an ability to, to help treat societal problems on the front lines of medicine is just something that truly solidified my decision to go into EM. Um, in medical school, I got a master's degree in public health, and there are a few specialties that are very public health heavy, you know, for example, internal medicine, family medicine, but emergency medicine far and above for me, I think is one of the most public health centric uh, focused specialties. And I just love every day getting to use both my medical training as well as my public health training in the department. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like so many of uh, applicants into EM have had prior experience and people either love or hate the department. So it's good, Jenny, what you said about like really being sure you like the shadow side kind of is of how they describe it of a program. Um, and speaking of applying and getting to a program, how did each of you kind of approach the application process? How did you look for where you wanted to apply and how did you end up at your school? Um, for me, it was very location-based and then also patient population-based. So I, I grew up in New York and I went to medical school at Cooper Medical School, which is near Philadelphia, just in Jersey. And I kind of fell in love with the city of Philadelphia and I love New York City. So I knew for me, the location was important and I was looking mostly at those two cities and some others in the Northeast. Um, and then I was really looking for a program that had the patient population I wanted to work with. Similar to Ryan, I wanted to be an advocate for my patient. So I was really looking for um, like a place where the emergency department was really necessary. My program at Temple is a very underserved population and that's what I was looking for. Um, so that was how I narrowed down my search. I tend to pick the cities I was most interested in and and the programs that kind of fit a mission that I felt like resonated with me. I would say the same. Um, it was also very important to me, number one, being location. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in the South. I had family in the South. My husband's family was also in the South. So I kind of concentrated my applications more so in the South, although keeping it open to the Northeast as well, because I went to medical school at the University of Rochester. Um, also, um, just kind of to piggyback on what Jenny was saying, a lot of programs, and you'll kind of see this whenever you do your research and you're looking at um, the pages of different programs have common themes within their program. Um, you'll start to see a lot focused on education or, or a lot of others are research heavy or a lot are very active and have like a lot of programs as far as like community engagement um, and advocacy. Um, so I think as far as when you're talking to these programs, I kind of picked a common theme of what was important to me. Um, and with that being social advocacy, social determinants of health, um, working with the homeless population specifically. So I looked at programs that either had those already existing um, or those that I knew or felt would be supportive um, in helping me like starting those programs when I went um, or applied as a potential um, resident at that program. So geography is probably where I started out first. Um, 
I kind of had some discussions with myself, my family, my loved ones about where I would be happy physically in the country. And I knew that that your space outside of your residency is so important throughout your training because residency is hard and you need to be somewhere that you're going to thrive outside the hospital and no program is worth you being unhappy outside of the walls of the hospital. And so I think the first thing I did was drew a map and knew where I probably wouldn't be happy, whether it be because I didn't like the weather or it was too far away from my family and loved ones. And right away, X them out and just didn't think about it going further because I knew that I needed to be somewhere that I was going to be set up for success. Um, after that, I went through and talked with colleagues of mine. So looked at my upperclassmen when I was a third year, talked to my fourth year students who were going through the process. Where did they end up? Where did they apply? Where did they like? Where did they not like? Um, and then tried to find, you know, someone in the class above me who was very similar to me that I knew had similar interests and kind of used them as a sounding board for where to apply. Um, and then I got into the nitty gritty of three versus four year, more community versus more academic. But those are kind of the broad strokes of how I started and then started to filter down my list into the other things um, and then started looking deeper at programs. But I think for me, geography and then people I knew who had interacted with that program were the best two places to start. That's all really helpful and that's a really good framework to approach, I feel like, because there's just so many programs in general. Um, we've had a bunch of questions in the chat so far. To stick with the theme of applying, um, someone asks, how many applications did you send out? And I, I know this question is kind of applicant dependent, um, but you could give a ballpark of how many you would recommend, maybe, things like that. I don't know if, if you have a recommendation. Yeah, I do think that this question is probably pretty applicant dependent. And I also think it probably is changing a little bit during the time of COVID, which we wish it wouldn't, but it probably is. Um, I think I applied, it was somewhere between 25 and 30 programs, which I think was on the upper end of what was recommended for me at the time. I remember talking to advisors about this at my medical school who gave me some recommendations based on what they knew of me. Um, but I'm very neurotic, so I went on the upper end of that. Um, yeah, that, that was what I did. Uh, but I do think that if you are maybe less of a strong applicant and you know this about yourself, or maybe you're coming from an international country, I think it's reasonable to apply to more places than that. I definitely think that it's worth um, kind of taking advantage of your resources and your advisors and mentors. Um, and so I also approached a mentor as mine, as well as like the advisors that we had set within emergency medicine and just kind of said, hey, based on like my stats, my numbers, like what would you recommend? Um, I was also very neurotic and was like, no, that's not enough. So I also applied to more than recommended. Um, but at that time, I was also recommended around 30 as well. Um, and we're like 25 to 30 was also the number. But then again, to kind of echo what Jenny said, things are probably ever changing. So I would definitely try to make sure to reach out to your resources and your advisors and go specifically based off of you as an applicant. Um, and, you know, usually your advice is very helpful there as well. Yeah, I just want to echo what everybody has said. Um, talk to a third party 
kind of have somebody take a step and look at you holistically, look at your scores, look at your event. Um, and if you are at a medical school that has an emergency medicine program, try and reach out to one of the APDs of the program. They look through you know, hundreds, if not thousands of applications a year. So they know what programs are looking for. And I think they can give you a good idea of where you stand, at least in terms of the applications they're seeing. And I think that that advice is just, you know, priceless because they're the ones that are reading these applications. And I think they're the ones that can help give you a number. And I think it's so application dependent that it's really hard for us to give a specific number um, to fit every person on this call. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I've gotten similar advice from my advisors. And then there's also the consensus statement from all the ER programs, which is recommending um, 12 to 17 interviews. So once you have your applications then limiting your interviews to that. Um, and then we had another question about letters of recommendation. So this is unique this year because we will only be having one slow per student, but how did you choose who would write your letters? So it is different for us. I had uh, two slows, I think, uh, or three. Um, but I had also, before I knew if I was doing away rotations, um, asked people that I had worked with in the hospital for letters. So I think that part I can relate to you on. I even asked people from internal medicine. And the, re the way that I went around, the way that I went about this was I picked people who I knew truly liked working with me and I truly liked working with them. And I, I would always ask for, I would ask them if they could write me a good letter of recommendation because I think that wording is really important. You don't want to get surprised by one of these letters. You want to make sure that it's someone who knows you well, who trusts you, who thinks you'd be a great doctor and they're going to write you a really strong, good letter because I think now those letters do matter for you. Um, I agree. Um, and also making sure to choose um, people that you've worked with that will definitely write you a good letter, but also longevity matters. Um, so I think to keeping in mind that, you know, the difference between someone that can write you a good letter, but work with you for like two weeks, or was your staff for one week versus someone that can say, oh, I've done research with this person, or um, they've been in and out of my clinic, you know, shadowing or volunteering their time or whatsoever. Um, you know, for the past six months, or even if it was one month, um, I think definitely try to take in account the weight of the time and how long they've known you, because um, I definitely will weigh more as far as with your application as well. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I also want to, I was not a heavy researcher in medical school. Um, so I didn't, you know, have a research team to ask for letters of recommendation. So that's something that other people may do. That's just not what I did because I wasn't a researcher. Um, I actually had one of my attendings from internal medicine write me a letter. Um, and the way I went about it was, you know, I pushed for an in-person meeting. Um, and I know that's a little difficult now, but even just asking for a Zoom meeting, you know, just to say, hey, I really enjoyed working with you. Do you think you could write me a strong letter of recommendation? Um, would it be possible to have a quick Zoom call, kind of talk about my goals and where I want to go in emergency medicine? I think that's going to help them personalize the letter, which will make a good letter great. Um, and then uh, the other thing is think about those early um, because you want to allow time for those people who are writing the letters to one schedule a Zoom meeting with you as well as the letter done. Um, you know, I'm have had conversations with my personal program director right now who's writing a lot of letters of recommendation for fellowship applications 
and she has like 15 requests that are all due within two weeks. Um, and it gets very annoying to them. And so I would hate for a time crunch to get in the way of you shining in that letter. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. So, um, Ryan, you kind of touched on this one a little bit, but someone asked about research and whether or not it was necessary for emergency medicine. And if it had, if you did it, did it have to be in emergency medicine? So I don't know if any of you did research during medical school, but can you speak to that? Um, so, yes, I'll, I'll say like I was not, I didn't do a lot of bench research. I didn't do a lot of clinical research. Um, through my MPH, I had done a little bit of kind of public health and social research and the programs that I applied to, I definitely felt that some of them were more research heavy and they focused on that either, you know, in their interview or made that very apparent in how they marketed their program. Um, but I would say by and far, that is the exception, not the rule. And I think that emergency medicine as a whole is not as research heavy as other specialties. And I think that research is good if you like it and you enjoy it and you can connect it to like where you wanna go in the future. So my research, even though it was like very, very minimal research, I don't even know if we can really call it research, but it was public health and I really enjoyed it and I could talk about it and how I, I wanted to connect it to my future career in emergency medicine. And that mattered more than me being part of this huge clinical trial that had some change in practice outcomes that I didn't really care about or didn't really ever see myself getting involved with in the future. I had done some research before medical school. I took two gap years and worked as a bench scientist. Um, I'd say when it came up in my interviews, I used it as a more as a guide to what I knew I didn't want to do. I kind of said like, look, I took these two years and I realized that wasn't right for me. I needed to be a people person and I wanted to be talking to people. I think that, um, I think that the amount of research that you do is probably, I think the importance probably depends on the programs you're applying to a little bit. In general, I totally agree with Ryan that I wouldn't stress if you don't have a lot of research. I didn't have a lot on my resume either. Um, there are probably some programs that are a little bit more academic focused and would prefer to see it. Uh, but I do not think that's the majority of programs, and I don't think it matters if you don't have it. I would agree. Um, I did like some public health research as well in medical school, but I did not do bench research. Um, I knew very specifically it wasn't for me and that it was just wasn't something I had a passion for and everyone's different. Um, I think that Ryan made a great point that the biggest thing is passion, right? So as long as, you know, you're passionate about what's on your CV. And if they're asking you about something, you're able to, you know, kind of like show your interest, show your excitement. And it comes off that you're like very involved or passionate about that project. I think essentially that's what they want to see. And that's what matters versus when they ask you about something and then you're like, oh, I don't know. I was just kind of like there, you know, at the clinic or I hopped in maybe like once or twice a year, you know, they don't want to see those things or hear about those things. They want to see about the thing that you're like passionate and, um, you know, that you committed yourself through, through med school, whatever that may be. Awesome. Thanks. Um, kind of staying in that section of the application, we're kind of working our way through it as we're talking about it. But um, in terms of activities and things, Jordan, you mentioned like keeping in what you're most passionate about. So should you 
include the laundry list of everything you've ever done through med school and maybe even a little bit before? Or how did you guys prioritize what things you were involved in that you put into your application? Um, so for spe well, specifically for me, um, I kind of went through before and because I've kind of kept the CV um, through from like college to med school. Um, and I went on and actually like deleted the things that I didn't feel kind of like met the common theme of what I wanted my like application to portray. Um, and that allowed me to um, then kind of develop my theme of like social determinants of health or my street medicine, like outreach um you know my girls group and mentoring and things that i've done so i knew that i wanted that to kind of speak out so that my application was then um kind of like received by other programs i also value those same things if that makes sense um so that's kind of like how i kind of cut out things and then just realizing if it's something that i didn't really have like longevity or couldn't like wouldn't be interested in speaking about during my interview i kind of just took those things out as well yeah, I would echo what Jordan just said. I think, um, I don't think it's beneficial to have a really long laundry list of activities if they weren't things you were particularly involved in. Because I don't think it would ever be ideal to have someone ask you a question about like a volunteer project that maybe you only went to once. I would rather focus on the things that you were clearly really passionate about that you would love to talk to that the program can get a better understanding of who you are and what you want to do at their program. Um, more than having like a bunch of things listed. That being said, if you're passionate about a bunch of things and you worked a lot on extracurriculars outside med school, then I think that you should include those things. I agree, I don't have anything to add. Sounds good, yeah. Um, someone asked about being involved in like a lot of different things, but I think we answered that. But if you were very passionate about it and you can talk about them in an interview, you should, you should do it. And um things like that okay One quick thing uh, I do. can i add something really quick with that going of course, go back to talking with going back to apds at your program have them look at this and see you know what what looks good to them and have them see if there's anything on your application that says you know that seems a little weird why is that there were you really involved in that and if your response is, oh my gosh, yes, like I did this with this, I loved it, then maybe beef it up a little CV. But if them saying that makes you realize, yeah, I did that for a couple of weeks and it was okay, maybe that's a sign that you should take it out. So don't just take it from us, get a, a subject matter expert that can also look through your CV with you. Thank you, that's a great recommendation. Also, Ryan, just so you know, you your audio is fine, but your video sometimes disappears. So just so you know, don't know if you can do anything about that. <laughs> I'll try Zoom to make up. only pretty faces. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, one other part of the application is the personal statement, which is just a blank talk about yourself. It's always hard to approach. Um, how did you guys start that? Any tips, tricks? I would like to echo what Ryan's been saying about having someone read that over for you too. I'd have multiple people read that over. I'd have people in your family or your friends if you have it. I'd have people in your program read that over because you really want it to reflect who you are and you really want it to read well to the people who will be reading it on your application. Um, 
I kind of started with what things matter most to me. It was sort of written as a journey of how I decided on emergency medicine and what made me really passionate about the patients I'll be treating and um, what projects I had done throughout med school and, and prior to med school in my career um, in between college and then. And I just sort of talked about the things that were passionate to me that, that kind of led me into this field and what I want to do at my new program because of those passions. I agree um, and kind of echo the same sentiments. I mean, definitely I have like multiple people read um, my personal statement. Um, one type of advice that I found helpful, but also not helpful um, was someone that mentioned like, don't have your personal statement read at you, like exactly word for word and verbatim as your CV. Um, Cause they see your CV, they already know everything that's on your CV and they can ask you about those things later. Um, but the big thing that you want to kind of focus on in your personal statement is like whatever you feel like isn't coming off in your CV, but that you want those people to know about you. So make sure that your personality comes out similar to Jenny, like your interests, YEM, um, if there's like a specific encounter that you had or, um, you know, one specific patient that kind of like solidified your experience. Like this, you know, is a personal statement for a reason. So this is like your time for them to get to know you as a person um, and not just like a list of activities that you participated in as a student. I definitely agree with Jordan and I had seen some comments in the chat about having multiple, you know, careers doing a lot before this point in your life. And I think that your personal statement is a great place to tie those things together. So things that at first sight look very disjointed, like, oh, you were doing this for a couple of years, but then you were over here for a couple of years, here for a couple of years, you can explain that journey and how it brought you to where you are. And I think that will just even more highlight those things that you've done in your life. Awesome, thanks. Um, we just got another question about personal statement uh, being, is it a good place to explain why you wanna go to a certain city or would that hurt your chance in other cities? I know you can submit multiple personal statements, I believe. Like you can put one to one program and one to a different program. So you could theoretically put the location in there. Um, I think that also disclosure, I did not couples match. Um, this might be something good like for couples matching. And I don't know if any of us did and can speak to that, but that may be something that may be necessary for certain cities and explaining why you want to be in a city if you're, person that your couple's matching with also is going to be there. Um, I think that if it is like a very, 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 very strong thing for you, like one of the number one things on your list, maybe have a C or a personal statement that highlights that, that you send it to places in that city. I would not have one personal statement that says how much you love the city of Chicago and send it to New York and Los Angeles and Houston and Miami. I think those might hurt your chances. And I'd be really, really careful just double checking where you're uploading which, uh, which personal statement to, because that would be an easy mistake that I think would be seen as careless if you made it. Um, but I, I know there are certain states that are, are a little bit harder to match into. I know California is pretty notorious for that. And I think if you really have a reason that you want to be in a state like that or a location, you should let somebody know. I agree with everything said. I have nothing to add. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.
All right. So um, any opinions on adding in things to your, your activities, like being a server or a barista or a bartender, like other employment things? Um, I was on a panel recently where uh, PD said they look for things like that. So I don't know if you guys have heard anything from your school specifically. I haven't heard anything specifically, um, but I think as a whole, um, you know, they definitely want to see who you are as a person. Um, they definitely want to know that you're a people person. So I think if that's like a common theme, so like baristas, servers, um, if that's something that you enjoyed and something that you can talk about or even be a potential like common interest between you and the person that you're interviewing with, like I don't think it hurts um, to add that or put that as an activity or even like a hobby or pastime. Agree. Sounds good. This PD specifically said being a server was like pre-emergency medicine before you got to being there. Same kind of service industry. Um, okay, other people have some questions about um, uh, communicating to programs and all of the information we're getting about programs right now. How do we kind of go deeper with a program right now because programs are showing who they are and they're showing the general gist of like, we're a three versus four, we're mostly community, we're academic. They're giving out all of those things that you guys talked about looking for initially and it's pretty clear right now. So what else would you look at in a program? Um, it's so different now that you're not able to really come and meet people. I know programs right now are trying a lot harder to display this stuff on the internet. I know Temple, where I come from, we really beefed up our Instagram. We're trying to show um, like our teams that we work together in and our journal clubs and our social activities. And I think um, that's maybe an initial place to start is to look at your at the residency programs that you're just in at their website or their Instagram or their, if they have a Facebook page. Um, because I think programs are aware that right now it's a little bit more challenging to get a good feel for the place without visiting it. So I think they're trying a little harder. Oh, sorry, I would agree. I was muted. Sorry. Um, a lot of programs are, I think, trying to, as similar to our program, we're just trying to beef up like what we're publishing and putting on Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, a lot of different programs are coming out, you know, um, with different like virtual um, Zoom things so that you can get to know their program a little bit better. Um, I think following their Twitters and Instagram. So if you know that there's programs that you're interested, I understand you can't follow 50 different programs, um, but just keeping in mind the programs or the locations that, you know, specifically maybe of interest to you, I would just encourage you to try to follow those programs. Um, so that you can keep abreast of all the things that people are doing, because I think we're really trying to shift more um, into like a social media friendly kind of platform. Yeah, it, it is so hard to do deep dives into these programs now because it's it's like we have to kind of paint a broad picture for everyone. And I think the best way to kind of go in deeper is to try and either through Zoom sessions or through resident bios, try and identify someone that, you know, is similar to you, either that went to your med school or is from the same area as you, or maybe had the same previous career as you or a same to that person, um, either through the residency coordinator. You know, I know residents in my program, we love 
when we get connected with medical students that have similar interests to us, we, we love our program, we love talking about it. And so we love being connected to those who wanna learn more. Um, and I think that's also a good way to kind of get talking with the program without kind of jumping to sending love letters to a program director. I think that talking with residents, um, getting a better idea of what things are like on the resident side and trying to get that view from someone who's similar to you, I think is gonna be the best way for you to get the information that's gonna be important to you. That's awesome. And a lot of schools have um, like alumni networks through people at different schools that they could try to reach out to as well. Um, what questions did you guys prioritize asking programs when you were on interviews? Um, I usually, uh, sorry, Ryan, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I always had one in my back pocket that was a funny question um, because, you know, they always say, do you guys have any questions? By the end of the day, I was always so exhausted. And I would always say, you know, this is my last interview of the day and I really don't have any, but can you guys get chicken nuggets at two o'clock in the morning? Like, how's your cafeteria here? And everybody I asked that question to loved it. And it was also very important to me to know what the food situation was gonna be at night. Um, so in addition to all the serious stuff, you know, realize that EM physicians are also people too. And, get annoyed with all the serious questions all the time. So you can just think of some fun ones to ask at the end of your interview day. Yeah, that's good. Um, I don't have that kind of charisma. I don't think I could pull that off, but that is good. <laughs> um, I usually ask kind of serious questions. I was interested in like topics related to social emergency medicine. And I would ask them what types of programs um, were currently going. I would ask them about res resident-led initiatives and what the process was like to see if I had an interest, if I wanted to create a new program, how I'd go about doing that, who would be my mentors, and are there people who have done similar things to me. And then one question I asked um, pretty regularly was how the department stood within um, the greater space of the hospital. I was looking for a place that the emergency department was really important within the hospital, meaning there's like some leadership from the emergency side in the, in the hospital administration, because usually that can show you that your department's really valued and that your residency is valued and that maybe your ideas would be valued. I agree. Um... For me personally, it was really important to um, that I would be at a program that would support uh, resident-led initiatives. So that I think that was one thing particularly that I found myself asking every program and focusing on, um, especially if I found that, um, you know, it may not have been like openly publicized as something that I was interested in was being done at that program. Because um, I found that a lot of times, even though it may not be on the website, it was a good conversation starter. And a lot of times there are already residents that were like actively in the community doing these things. Um, so where I might have found like there was like potential or even, you know, like the potential to grow an already existing program, um, you know, that, that, that was a time that I really, you know, found, I guess, like to ask those questions and focus on those particular interests. Awesome. Thanks. How did you guys go about preparing for an interview? Did you practice with anyone? Did you have practice through your school? And then what do you recommend for Zoom practice? I also have some serious questions. Oh, sorry, Ryan. What were you going to say? You were cut off the whole time.
I think Ryan said he also asked him. That's too. okay. My bandwidth is super low. I apologize. Um, one thing that I like to ask was about. <laughs> Can you guys hear me right now? No. <laughs> yes. No, maybe. Now a little bit. Okay, your you your face appeared again, so maybe you're back. Ryan, do you want to try again? Currently you're muted. Everybody's gonna to try to type in the chat. Oh, perfect. Okay, sounds good. I'm gonna try and type in the chat what oh, I was you're trying okay to right now. Okay, you can hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um so what I was going to say is asking about uh, shift length and um, 12s versus 8s versus 10s and knowing who you are as a person. If you are someone that's absolutely dead after a 12-hour shift and can't do anything in life, think if you want to be at somewhere that's do that every shift of your residency. Um, think if you like a balance. The other thing is ask what happens if there's a family emergency. Life is going to happen, and although we don't want to think about the fact, or we don't want to think about the possibility that, you know, someone close to us may get very sick, and you may have to take a couple days off residency, it may happen, and I think that that question will show you how supportive um, a program is of the residents and how willing the coast when needed. Um, so I, that's a good way of asking it. And I don't think it comes off as you thinking like, oh, like I'm already thinking I'm going to have to take some time off. It just comes across as you like thinking towards the future and understanding that, you know, life happens and it's going to happen and you need to be somewhere that you're going to be supported no matter what's happening around you. That's a great question. And you made it through all of it. We heard all of it. <laughs> um, okay. Another we got a couple more questions in the chat now, so I'll skip my other question that I had asked. But um, as this is, the, I thought, a good question. As residents, when people ask you about your program, do you feel constricted in what you can say about your program? Um, or do you, especially if it revolves around something that you don't particularly like about your program, or do you feel like generally people are pretty honest about their programs? I like to think people are pretty honest. Um, I'm never bothered when a medical student has asked me on an interview trail, like what my least favorite thing about my program is. I'm usually pretty upfront about it. Um, I don't probably use the same language I would use on my most frustrated day, but I will be completely honest because I ultimately want somebody who wants to come to my program because they would like the things I like about it and be able to live with the things I don't. I agree. I don't think I've found that anyone was dishonest or not really like completely forthcoming um, about their process or things that they didn't like about their program, especially when I was interviewing. Um, and similar, you know, to Jenny, I think whenever someone, you know, can ask me like, what are things that you don't like about your program? I feel like that I can be honest with that. Um, but I think also realizing that like there is no 100% perfect program 
um, you know, residency is hard. <laughs> um, and there are going to be things that, you know, may be like specific to each program. But I think, like Jenny said, just being able to be okay with those things um, and just making sure that the good definitely outweighs the bad um, is important about a program. But programs are, I say most, and probably all are going to be very open. And I think that program directors and ADs are the only ones answering questions from applicants. Um, and there's residents there. It might maybe just think about, you know, why aren't the residents answering these questions? Um, and I think it's also kind of not easy. You can only tell when someone's being genuine, when someone's truly passionate. I think what you're saying is that hopefully you catch residents on the right days, and that sometimes. Um, you can tell when people are being genuine versus not, I believe is what the gist of what Ryan was trying to say there. Um, I think that he will be coming back. <laughs> um, so we'll wait for that. But until then, um, Jordan and Jenny, can you guys talk about kind of the difference between academic community and county programs and how you both decided on where you are now? It was easy for me. Um, I knew specifically that an uh, interest of mine was academics, um, but I also wanted to make sure that the program that I was at was primarily academic, but also rotated at other sites um, that were community programs. Um, so I think that's one thing if you definitely want kind of the jack of all trades or the experience of rotating through different programs is definitely one thing to ask. Um, whether or not the program has one main specific site where they're practicing, which may be academic, um, and then send their residents out to different community sites. Um, that was something that my program specifically has, and a lot of other programs have something similar. Um, but if that is an interest of yours, that's definitely something that I would try to look into with different programs. Yeah, similar to Jordan, I was looking for the diverse experience of having some community and some academic medicine because I wasn't sure what I was going to want to go into. I knew that I was looking for a county type program, for lack of a better word, because um, in my city, we don't really have county hospitals. Um, and the way that I knew that was because I did away rotations in one that was a little bit more community and one that was a little bit more county. Um, I, I, say, I would say that you should just kind of like think pretty deeply about who you are and if you're okay with like a, a less resourced hospital or you want a hospital with a lot of resources and, and it looks really nice on the inside and maybe the patients have like a better understanding of their medical conditions at, at certain hospitals versus others because they have more primary care access versus others. I think I would try to like focus on the clinical rotations that you really enjoyed and what it was about those rotations that you really enjoyed to try to get that information about what kind of program you would want to go to because I know it's a lot harder now that you don't get the experience of away rotations. Um, so we're talking about 
county versus academic, right? Yeah, um, you chose where you ended up too. Awesome. So I agree. It is really hard to figure that out now because honestly, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I didn't know until I did an away rotation at those places, um, which is it, obviously not possible right now. So I think this also goes back to relying on your networks from your medical schools and who's there and ask them, you know, what's the best thing about a county program? What's the worst thing about a county program? What's the best thing about a hardcore academic program? What's the worst thing? Similar to community. Um, and then realize that I, most programs have like sites where you're going to do some of your, your rotations. So like University of Chicago is, you know, mostly an academic medical center, but we do 25% of our time at a community affiliate. So don't just look at the surface of, you know, what name is on the program. Also look at a kind of a, a deep dive of where they actually are performing their rotations at. And you'll find that I think most programs in the country are going to give you some sort of hybrid. I think that the number of programs that's either 100% academic versus 100% community versus 100% um, county um, are fewer than you think. Agreed. Yeah, there's a lot of mixture, which I think is beneficial for us in this season where we couldn't have done away rotation. So a program that might have one or two, three sites might be better. Um, Ryan, there was a question directed toward you that um, was about how are you using your MPH in your career? And as a current, uh, this was from a current MD MPH student who wants some direction. Yes, so there are so many directions to go with an MPH because as you know, it is very multifactorial. You can do biostatistics or epidemiology. Um, my concentration was social behavioral sciences, so it focused a lot on program development, program evaluation. And so currently in um, my emergency department, I'm working with the team that's working on universal opt-out testing for HIV and syphilis. Um, the University of Chicago serves some of the Chicago community areas, which is our fancy term for neighborhoods, that have some of the highest rates of congenital syphilis and HIV in the country. And so we are screening every person who comes into the door as an opt-out. So only if the person says, no, I don't want to be screened, um, unless they say that, we draw it in their normal lab work. And for example, last month we caught 30 cases, 30 cases of syphilis, nine in pregnant females. And so my MPH experience with looking at you know, census tract data and larger data sets um, and applying it to a program and how do we evaluate, you know, the number of patients we're testing, how do we get our testing numbers up? That's kind of how I'm using my MPH in my program right now to benefit our patients. Awesome, thanks. Um, to go back to a question I'd asked earlier, but skipped, um, in preparing for an interview, the, this COVID area with Zoom is so bizarre. Um, how, any suggestions on adapting what you did in an interview to a Zoom format or how you think this is gonna go for us? Any advice? I still dress professionally. I try to find a chair that is stable so that you're not like bouncing as you're talking. Um, Cause I think that would be distracting. Uh, Otherwise, I think, I don't think that the in-person part for the actual interview will matter a ton in terms of how much they can get from you. I do think it'll matter how much you can get from the residents and touring the hospital and seeing the patients in front of you. Um, and then I would say when you're at the point where you're starting to talk to residents in the interview, I wouldn't feel funny about asking them for contact information. 
information, just saying like, can I have your email in case I have more questions? I think that shows interest. And I think right now, especially, I'm understanding that this is a harder time for you to get to know residents and I'm always gonna be open to a conversation. I agree. And one thing I would just also like to say is um, with Zoom, it's obviously going to be really easy to kind of roll out of bed and show up at the end. Um, do your homework, though. Don't let, you know, just the ability to turn on your computer and be in an interview um, take you away from that research of a program. Because, you know, last year and the years before, you would spend time traveling to the program. So, you know, as you were on a plane or in a hotel room the night before, you'd be researching the program. Stay in that mindset um, because it's also going to be really, really, really easy to confuse programs um, and make sure you've done your due diligence and know what the strengths are of that program. Know what questions you want to ask of that program by the end of your interview um, and try and stay organized um, because especially if you're jumping, if you have five interviews in five days and I don't know if you're going to have one in the morning, one in the afternoon, figure out what's good for you organization wise, because it's going to get difficult. You won't have those location cues to remember what you were feeling. I definitely agree. Um, research is so important of the program. Um, one thing to some programs, I'm not sure how this will change, but if a program sends you out the name of the person that you would be interviewing with, um, also as well as like you know, researching that program. Also research the person that you're gonna be interviewing with. Um, if they have a program on their page or like their, you know, research interests or their clinical interests, um, that can also be a potential to kind of find common interests um, between you and the interview and be like an opportunity to connect as well. Awesome, thanks. So we have time for about one or two more questions. Um, and I have put a form in the chat for you guys to fill out. We're gonna plan to do more of these panels, hoping to cover topics like interview tips, um, wellness and emergency medicine, tips for clerkships, for people that haven't had their clerkship or upcoming third years, et cetera. So please fill that form out so we can uh, cover topics that you'd be interested in. Um, I don't know this about any of you three, but are you planning to pursue fellowships? And if so, uh, when you applied to your residency, did you kind of weigh a fellowship opportunity um, at your particular institution or did you um, keep track of where fellowship opportunities might come for you? Um, so I actually went into residency and I'm still at the point in residency where I don't know if I'm going to do fellowship. And so that uncertainty actually did play into where I went because I wanted a program that sent a decent amount of residents to, um, you know, to the community to work without fellowship, but also sent residents to fellowship. Um, I didn't want to go to a program where I felt like everybody was doing fellowship and where I would feel pressured to do it because everybody else was. And similar, I, I didn't want to go to a program where everybody tended to go into community medicine and not have those contacts or that support to go into fellowship or um, I basically wanted somewhere that I could have everything. <laughs> I didn't think I wanted to do a fellowship, but I also wasn't really that sure. I also was looking for what Ryan was looking for. I would say if you do know for sure that you're interested in a certain type of fellowship, I do think it benefits you to go to a place that has that fellowship. Um, partly because it will help build your application if you don't want to stay at that program because you can like have fellows who are working on research in that area or working on projects in that area. 
or maybe you want to stay at your institution. I want to echo all of that, um, but also include a lot of programs that are kind of um, doing like these different tracks. So if you're interested in like disaster medicine or education or social EM, a lot of programs have like developed tracks for you to kind of stay committed to um, throughout your residency training, which is also helpful. Um, but one thing too, if you know, you know, similar to what Jenny was saying that you're interested in something specific, if they don't have that fellowship at that institution, check and see if faculty or staff are trained um, in global health or if there will be like a fellowship mentor you know that you would be able to kind of access um as like a backup or second route as far as um mentorship as well awesome thanks yeah um sounds good well we've covered a lot of things um in this talk today so a lot about the application and how to apply and what to apply um what to include things like that so what advice do you guys want to leave students with um, specifically third years and fourth years how best to utilize their time in these years to set themselves up for success in EM. I would say for third years get as much as you can out of your rotations right now because we don't know how fleeting they will be for you and try your best to um, focus on projects that you're really passionate about because that will sh that will come through on your resume when you eventually go to make it. Um, I wouldn't do anything to build your resume. I would do the things that you want to do because that will build your resume. Um, for fourth years, uh, it's, it's really tough to give you guys advice right now, and I'm so sorry. Uh, I would say make a good solid list at this point of the places that you want to apply. Make sure all your, um, your CV and all your, your personal statement is together. Um, reach out to residents, like Ryan was saying, that you know uh, that were interested in the same things as you and, and try to get a sense from them the types of programs they were interested in. I agree and echo all the same things. Um, I, I would say my biggest piece of advice. Go for it. You go. Sorry. Um, no, I just want to agree and echo the same. I think mentorship is so important, especially within emergency medicine, um, really in medicine in general. But I think trying to find residents that are at the program that you're at that may have like graduated from your medical school in the past, um, or even looking at your alumni network within your medical school, um, I think it's very helpful. Um, I can speak that throughout my process, everyone was very open and forthcoming about answering questions and responding to emails. So I do encourage you, even if you're shy and more introverted, um, just to kind of like put yourself out in the line, you know, be respectful but, and be professional. But I think reaching out, um, you know, shouldn't be a problem with anyone. Um, and typically people are very open in regards to mentoring. Um, I would say my biggest piece of advice for third years is look to your fourth years, um, see what they're doing, see what's working for them, see what's not working for them, um, learn from their triumphs, learn from the road bumps. Um, and for the fourth years that are going through this right now, take a deep breath. This is new for everyone. So no one is expecting this process to be perfect and it's not going to be. Um, so just roll with the punches. Things are gonna be rough, but it's rough for everyone, including the programs. So if there's some hiccups along the way, just roll with it. Recover and your guys are gonna be great. That's what emergency medicine is anyway. We're built to be adaptable. Yes, <laughs> it is putting us through that and honing our adaptability skills for sure. <laughs> I relate to everyone who is in on this. Um, 
But as you can see, our panelists have added their emails to the chat. Um, and we are looking forward to having more of these panels with our RSA residents in the future. Um, if you are not already RSA members, please consider joining us. The first year of uh, membership is free. And we have a lot of amazing resources like panels and access to residents and physicians, et cetera. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to all our panelists for giving your time as busy ER residents. Um, and thank you for everyone who attended. Have a good night, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about AEM RSA, visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.